Hello and welcome to the Interfilm Podcast. I'm Eleanor from the programming team and I'm joined by Joe. And today we are doing a very special episode based on Shakespeare in honour of the 400th anniversary of his death. We're taking a slightly different approach to this week's podcast. We're going to be mixing up primary and secondary film titles. We've got loads of information, resources and ideas on our website for ways in which you can use Shakespeare's films in your class or in the clubs, and we put together a film list of some of our favourite titles which take in interpretations of his plays from around the world and across film history. That's right, and Shakespeare's always been a huge source of inspiration for cinema and filmmakers, going right back to the early days of the medium, where hundreds of silent films were produced based on interpretations of his plays, and they were very much seen as helping to add a sense of legitimacy to the art form at the time, when it was very much in its infancy, and regarded with a certain amount of suspicion by some of the elites, as most art forms tend to be when they first arrive. So, taking us into our very first foray into Shakespeare, it's one suitable for younger audiences and one of our favourite animations on the catalogue. Joe, would you like to kick us off with The Lion King? Everyone knows the story of The Lion King, I'm sure, and lots of you are probably like me and can remember going to see the film when it was first released in cinemas, perhaps having the soundtrack. Look inside yourself, Simba. You are more than what you have become. You must take your place in the circle of life. How can I go back? I'm not who I used to be. Remember who you are. You are my son. But lots of people don't know that the story was partly influenced by Hamlet. And because of that, we think it's a really great introduction for young people to Shakespeare as a storyteller and demonstrates how he's influenced so many stories in our popular culture today. It's a fantastic way to unpack some of the themes that Shakespeare deals with without getting bogged down in trying to deal with some of the complicated or anachronistic language that the text has. And it really helps to make Shakespeare a slightly less intimidating presence, which it's, it's fair to say he probably would be, particularly for younger audiences. It's a new certificate and we think it's suitable for all ages. I'm sure you would agree. I think it's a film that all ages will get a lot out of. I can remember a couple of years ago at one of the Interfilm Festivals, we showed the film in cinemas and it really demonstrated how powerful a film it still is. So we have all these very engaging animal characters that are bringing the story to life for us. Which of these are based on real Hamlet characters? Well, loads, actually. So Taken Simba himself, who's obviously at the heart of the Lion King, he's very clearly based on Hamlet. They're both young princes in kingdoms who have recently had their fathers murdered and had to deal with that kind of traumatic event quite early on in their lives. If you look at Simba's father, Mufasa, he is very clearly based on Hamlet Sr. And again, there are parallels between the two. They are running peaceful, harmonious kingdoms at the start of the film or play, and that really starts to unravel quite early on when things take a slightly more sinister turn. And that's because of the actions of Scar in The Lion King and Claudius in Hamlet, who are both the brothers of Hamlet and Mufasa, respectively. But on a slightly lighter note, even on the, some of the secondary characters, I'm sure you all remember Hakuna Matata, the fabulous son in The Lion King, sung by Timon and Pumbaa, and they are very clearly based on Rosencrantz and Guildenstern in Hamlet. Parallels go right through to specific scenes. There's a very famous scene in Hamlet, I'm sure you all know it, 
of him in, encountering the ghost of his father and that scene is replicated in the Lion King when Simba sees the vision of Mufasa in the lake and it really helps him to learn what he has to do and helps him to drive to do the, go and do the right thing. We've got a film guide on the Lion King as well which deals with some of these themes as well as other elements of the film as well because it's not just about Shakespeare of course with the Lion King but I'd really urge you to go and have a look at that and go back and watch the film because I promise you it's just as good as you remember it. So it's fair to say that there's not a huge amount of primary films specifically around Shakespeare, but a couple of really good examples are some of the animated tales. Shakespeare's animated tales are wonderful versions of his plays. They're a PG certificate and we aim them at 7+, as some of the language is a bit complex for the youngest viewers. And this collection of his plays comprises three discs. There are tragedies, comedies and histories for you to choose from. So it's a very easy and accessible way for younger children to become familiar with the stories, which include much of the original dialogue. For shame, thou hilding of a devilish spirit. Why dost thou wrong her that is ne'er wrong thee? Bianca, get thee in. Nay, now I see she is your treasure. She must have a husband. I must dance barefoot on her wedding day. Talk not to me. I will go sit and weep till I can find occasion for revenge. Plays are animated by the Russian animation house Soyuz Montfilm, and they're known for their very detailed craftsmanship. And this was a deliberate move by the BBC to move away from the kind of Disney aesthetic, which they felt would be a little bit too cutesy for these stories. So each play is brought to life in a very different animation style, which includes puppetry, some fantastic glass painting, and the sort of traditional 2D cell animation. And each film is brought to life in a very different way, with a unique look and feel for each interpretation, with detailed sets and wonderful period costumes. And I think this really encourages encourages children to analyse each world for the story and the way that different characters have been represented. For example, the contrast between Catherine and Bianca in The Taming of the Shrew is very visually emphasised and there's plenty of visual humour too. Are there any stories you would particularly recommend? Absolutely. Uh, so the, the collection comprises loads of uh, Shakespeare's different plays. Um, I particularly like The Midsummer Night's Dream, which is a very sweet kind of 2D animation which really plays with the sort of fairy kingdom and uh, some quite surreal colouring and is very fun to watch. There's also the very famous plays such as Romeo and Juliet and Hamlet which he's actually got resources to support uh, activities around. They focus very much on the three C's, colour, camera and character and the three S's, story, sound and setting. So you can really have a lot of fun with kind of doing your own filmmaking activities based on these short plays. Great, so moving on to films for slightly older audiences, uh, we're going to talk a bit now about Henry V. So the film opens with the famous chorus prologue, which is of course detached from the context and setting of the rest of the play. And what Kenneth Branagh does with this scene is he has Derek Jacobi speak the prologue from the set of a film studio, which to me is a really kind of symbolic moment of saying how comfortable and logical a fit Shakespeare and cinema are by the point of this film, by the time it's been released. It's a really vast, epic and ambitious movie, and it really cemented Branagh's reputation as a major interpreter of Shakespeare. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother, be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. 
Like the play, the centrepiece of the film is the Battle of Azincourt, which is told in really spectacular fashion and demonstrates the cinematic nature of the text and the ability of film to capture scenes that theatre can't really hope to replicate. It also has a fantastic cast. There's Branagh himself in the title role, but also there's Judy Dent, there's Robbie Coltrane, Ian Holm, Brian Blessed, Emma Thompson, and there's even a small cameo from a young Christian Bale, so keep an eye out for him if you can spot him. It's largely faithful to the original text, which obviously means it's a great comparison piece if you're studying Henry V in the classroom. Much of the text has been edited though, and what Branagh has chosen to do is incorporate elements from the two Henry IV plays into this film as well. And it's fascinating to pick up on those changes and alterations, and think about some of the nuances of the dialogue which have been altered or updated in some way, and unpack why the filmmaker may have made those decisions. Now moving on, we couldn't obviously do this podcast podcast without talking about Baz Luhrmann's seminal Romeo and Juliet, could we, Eleanor, which I think it's celebrating its 20th anniversary this year. Absolutely. So released in 1996, it featured a fantastic cast of all the sort of teenage idols of the day, including Claire Danes, Leonardo DiCaprio, even Paul Rudd makes an appearance. And it's a loud and colourful adaptation of Shakespeare's classic play about the star-crossed lovers from the bitterly feuding families. BBFC have given it a 12 certificate and we say it's suitable for 11 plus because it contains some moderate violence, but otherwise it's very accessible for that audience. Good pilgrim, you do wrong your hand too much, which mannerly devotion shows in this. For saints have hands that pilgrims' hands do touch, and palm to palm is holy palmer's kiss. Have not saints' lips, and holy palmer's too? Aye, pilgrim, lips that they must use in prayer. Well then, dear saint, let lips do what hands do, they pray grant thou, lest faith turn to despair. Saints do not move, though grant for prayer's sake. Then move not while my prayer's effect I take. So it maintains Shakespeare's original language but gives an updated setting. It's very pacey, edgy and vibrant and it's set in Verona Beach, Miami in the modern day. It's very reflective of how the audience would have actually been presented at Shakespeare's time. It's got these heightened emotions, it's very intense and it's designed to appeal to a mass audience. It also has loads of theatrical references and set pieces interwoven into this setting. There's loads of symbolism in the costume for audiences to pick up on as well. There's the very punky Capulets and the very slick and leather-clad rocker Montagues. It's also really significant the way that Romeo and Juliet's meetings are characterised with water. So you might notice this, that every time they meet there's always some kind of water present and as well as giving an impression of the youth freshness and purity of these characters it also alludes to the famous blood is thicker than water line. So as we've mentioned earlier filmmakers are endlessly finding new angles for their own interpretations of Shakespeare and using his themes to dissect issues in modern society. In this version of Romeo and Juliet it's gun culture and the effect of the mass media that adds a contributing factor to the tragedy. It's very interesting to contrast the kind of way that gun culture was looked at in this film in 1996 and the way that that has actually continued in modern society today. The other versions of Romeo and Juliet that have been approached by filmmakers are also very significant. We've got Franco Zeffirelli's 1968 version, which was actually the first to show Romeo and Juliet as teenagers, and the teenage culture is a massive impact, obviously, on Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. And there's the wonderful musical adaptation, West Side Story, which transports the few to 1950s New York and deals with issues around 
immigration in the American dream. And this kind of story, it continues to provide fuels for filmmakers. We've got the influence of the Romeo and Juliet story and all kinds of sagas of forbidden love. We've got loads of fantastic resources on this. There's a really in-depth guide that we produced in partnership with the V&A, which is all about the kind of costume setting and characterisation. And it's called the Real to Real Film Guide. And it interprets loads of different versions of Romeo and Juliet. Okay, so finally, I just want to touch on a couple of Shakespeare adaptations for old audiences. The first one is the 2015 version of Macbeth, which we've got as a 14 plus. It's a 15 certificate, but there is some strong violence in there, and I do mean quite strong. So I would recommend checking it out beforehand before you show it to your film club members. How now, my lord? Why do you keep alone? We have scorched the snake, not killed her. She'll close and be herself whilst our poor malice remains in danger of her former tooth. Things without all remedy should be without regard. What's done is done. It's a very earthy, visceral and bloody adaptation of the play from Australian director Justin Kurzel, and it stars Michael Fassbender and Marion Cotillard. Set at the same time as the play in 11th century Scotland, it's largely faithful to the text and contains some really quite extraordinary battle scenes, which have led many people to compare it to Braveheart. Now, I would agree with that, but I'd actually go a bit further and say that you can also really see the influence of Branagh's Henry V on this film, which is similarly gritty and muddy, particularly with its battle scenes. But here, that intensity has been dialed up even more, really heightening the cinematic values of the play even further. And the play also makes use of the other extreme of cinematic storytelling through really interesting use of close-ups, which is, of course, another storytelling device that film has, which can't be presented on stage in quite the same way. The film finds really fresh ways of interpreting the text right from the beginning, which differs from the play in quite a radical way, but it also opens up discussions about the motivations of the characters and presents them in very different ways to how we're used to seeing them. We've really gone to town with information on this film um, on our website. There's resources, there's film guides, there's blogs, there's filmmaker interviews, there's young people reviews, you name it, we've got it. I'd really encourage you to go and seek out as much of that as you can because it's a fantastic film and it really lends itself for use in the classroom and is a very, very accessible, entertaining film to engage young audiences with the play. And just finally, very briefly, I want to mention a film called My Own Private Idaho, which some of you may know. It's a 15 certificate. We've got it at 16 plus though, and that's because of some sexual content in the film, as well as a fair amount of strong language. The film's a cult 1991 film from American indie director Das Van Sant, and it takes the story of Henry IV and relocates it to a world of street hustlers and biker gangs in modern-day Portland. It's a really hip and heartfelt story of self-discovery and drifting, but it's also very artistically ambitious. There's a real grungy aesthetic to the film. It's visually experimental and idiosyncratic. The film has also earned an important place in the canon of LGBT American cinema, and it's a fantastic example of taking the ideas of Shakespeare and plunging them into some we're completely different and modern. Okay, so that's pretty much it for us today, talking about Shakespeare. But once again, do go and have a look at the website. Have a look at some of the resources and film lists that we've put together. There's a fantastic resource we've got aimed at younger audiences, giving you ideas on how you might like to stage a Shakespeare-themed screening in your classroom, for example. Do go and have a look at that. And um, also have a look at our blog, which is imagining what Shakespeare might be doing where he alive today. We've taken the position that he would be a screenwriter, writing the film, and and we've had a slightly playful look at what sorts of films he might be drawn to. So do go and have a read 
of that and see what you think and let us know if you disagree. Thank you very much for listening to our Shakespeare podcast today. Next week, we are going to be having a primary focus and we're looking at the good dinosaur kind of through the filter of emotional well-being. Hope you'll join us again next week and thanks very much. Thank you.